This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hello, friend. I'm Jeff Gibbard, and this is my podcast, Shareable. I decided to call it Shareable because the conversations I have with my guests are so good, you got to tell someone about it. Shareable is a variety show of sorts where we talk about culture, relationships, leadership, dating, business, comics, marketing, art, sales, and more. Wherever the conversation takes us, one thing is for sure. This podcast is Shareable. This episode of Shareable is brought to you by the Superhero Institute. The Superhero Institute is a training and development organization located on the internet, and you can find it at superheroinstitute.org. The Superhero Institute is the single destination online to learn how to become a real-life superhero by mastering the five core superhero abilities and living the superhero values. The Superhero Institute empowers you with the skills you need to take the limits off your ability to level up. Think of everything that you'd be capable of doing if you possess the mindset, the frameworks, the tools, and the strategies to conquer sales, marketing, leadership, productivity, and more. The Superhero Institute is a constantly growing library of courses, and with each new course, the price of the membership does go up. So getting in early is just about the smartest thing you can do. But the other smartest thing you can do is listen to one of my podcasts, because listeners of both Shareable and Rogue both get 30% off any and all courses, including full access to the entire catalog of the Superhero Institute. Learn more today by visiting superheroinstitute.org slash shareable. Hey, 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 a little brief bit of housekeeping here. Um, so this episode was freaking so much fun. It was really awesome. I brought my, uh, my friend Q back onto the show, and today uh, we talked a lot about uh, data, your rights to your own data, should you be able to profit from your data, um, the ideas of consent as it relates to the usage of your data. So it was, it was an overall really, really interesting conversation. Um, and um, the one thing I wanted to preface is that we did have some audio issues uh, on this podcast. They, It's not present throughout the entire episode. Like you, as you listen to it, you're going to notice it um, kind of here and there. Um, it's sort of a digitizing effect that happened. Uh, we did this episode over Zoom. Uh, he's in DC. I'm here in Philly. Uh, and one of our internet connections was action, was acting a little bit funky. It might have been mine, might have been his, might have been both of them. Um, but ultimately, it creates this weird sort of effect um, where sometimes we kind of it gets a little bit choppy or like we get a little bit digitized in the way we sound. But the overall content of the episode, I think, is really fantastic. So I hope that you're able to stick with us through the whole thing because the episode is very shareable and um, it's a really interesting, thought provoking episode. So uh, hope you're able to make it all the way through and that the slight audio issues are not a deterrent. I am looking into it and making sure that I always have a robust and fast Internet connection here in my studio. Um, so that's about it. Uh, hope you're enjoying the show lately. I'm having a lot of really interesting conversations with people, and I plan to get a lot more of them. I've been kind of slow on the uptake of scheduling new guests just because I want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row as it relates to being able to edit the episodes, put them out quickly. And it looks like I'm starting to get into a rhythm with it, so you can expect a lot more shareable coming your way as episodes are ready. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode with me and Q Xavier. Welcome back to Shareable today again on the show. I have my main man Q and we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff today and we're just going to just, we're just rolling. Just going to roll the tape. Go. 
kind of right like so it's kind of like that um uh that five by five uh media network where they have um merlin man and uh the other lovely gentleman that i can't remember his name um where a lot of times they have their topics outlined um but at the end of the day those topics lead into other ones and i think the one that's really kind of like frisking you right now is this idea <clears throat> or not even the idea the reality that we live in that your data is yours mm -hmm. and it's just and you're just giving it away and th that doesn't make sense like that whole statement doesn't eat like we don't have a place where that there's no like the there was no articles written written that said this is your information and here's what your information really is right like so your heartbeat is yours it's not fitbits but once Fitbit records it, it's theirs, right? And like, so I think that, <clears throat> and not to use, you know, not to point on blame Fitbit for anything, right? They haven't done anything wrong. But that we know of. That kind of, <laughs> right. And that, but that's kind of the point, right? Oh boy, I'm dropping things all over the place here. Um, that's kind of the point though, is we don't know what they're doing with that data. We don't know what it goes for. We don't know what they're, we don't know how it's being used. We have ideas, right? We have theories. Um, it's more, it's, it's likely that it's being used to create more marketing, but we don't know. Um, whenever my information is being used, I generally know what it is being used for. Uh, you take my name, my address, because you, because you take my name, my address, my credit card number, because you're going to deliver me a pizza not because you want to know that I order pizza so that way you can send me pizza coupons, right? And so <clears throat> this kind of like reflexive, it's, it's abusing this natural process that people have of wanting to share. Like we want to share, we want to be social. And so a lot of what our current system does is abuse that, that privilege that we extend as humans to each other to share, to be connected in meaningful ways, right? So what's my name is meaning, I don't care if you know my name, Q, that's my name, Jeff, that's your name, doesn't matter. Where am I from? Oh, I was born in New Jersey and I live in Washington DC now. <clears throat> that doesn't mean anything. However, those two pieces of data, those three pieces of data alone to an algorithm is just like, woo, it can go from, it can keep going. And we don't have a mind for that. There's no public mind uh, for what that means and what we've been, <clears throat> what we've been giving away, right? And, and I don't mean that we should be getting paid for it necessarily. I mean, I it's think the idea that we don't that. even... I think there's an argument to be made for that. And like, I have so many notes in front of me for like things I want to talk about with you and why my head's spinning about all this stuff is because there's just so many places that this goes to. Uh, there's, is it Jaron or Yaron Lanier? Whatever that guy yeah, Lanier. put on mm -hmm. New York Times about, you know, uh, data dignity and whether you should own your own mm -hmm. data, whether you should get paid for it, all that stuff. I'm like, yo, I'm all in on that. But like, what I think is, I want to like backtrack to something you said. Is like, why is it that there mm -hmm. are people 
like you and I who are very deeply concerned and, and not just us, not exclusively us, but why are we deeply concerned with what happens to our data, starting a conversation around ownership of data, uh, thinking about what data we should and should not allow people to collect or what it looks like to ask for consent, what pieces of data are meaningful to ask for consent for versus what we understand you know, when is it useful for the delivery of your service and product? And when is it just capturing additional things? And who owns it after it's out of your possession, like your heartbeat? So why is that a conversation that some people deeply care about? And more importantly, why is it that there's a larger population that just does not care at all? They're like, well, I get free Facebook. And we see what that leads to. It's great, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, right. Uh, so, so like that's happening. And there's just so much to there, there's so much. But I think what kind of something that you said, the initial thing I thought of when you're like, talking about when you give the Fitbit example, right? So we, you know, just let's use them for I don't know what they do. But we'll just keep using them as an example, just to have something that we can, like, you know, anchor to, right? So what, what would make you okay with them? having that data? And I think the answer to it would be two things. The agreement you have with that company, the, con the shared consent over, we agree to these mutual terms, which are not here are our terms, take it or leave it. But here are the things that you and I as two individual entities agree to, number one. But number two, additionally, the values and, and hopefully the, the um, values that have integrity of that entity that's capturing that data. So if you have like, for instance, the Mozilla Foundation, right? Build mm -hmm. web browsers, you've got DuckDuckGo, like it embedded in their ethos as a reason to exist is the belief that we are entitled to our privacy, that we are entitled to own our data and not just give it away and have it sold on us. So if you put when you use those services, your understanding in using those services is that your data is safe with them because they have espoused values that you can say, I agree with those values and that works for me and we're good. But there's still this underlying issue, which is that we live in a system in which it is more profitable and more valuable to not create that understanding, to create confusion willingly, and then to amass enough funds that when you are inevitably caught for this, which a lot of people will just brush off or not pay attention to in the first place, that the fine or the penalty that comes along with it is meager enough that it's still worth it for you to basically shaft people, steal their data, sell it, and do all those unethical things. And this is why it's the bigger conversation that like, I have so many different places I want to go with this with you, Q, is that like we're talking about how do you build any of these things in a fundamentally broken overarching system that incentivizes you to break or bend as many rules as you can for your own growth and benefit at the expense of others and be willing to deal with the small um, penalty that comes from it that's only a tiny slice of, of what that's the spoils that you've you know, like you go and conquer the land and you rape and pillage and you take everything. But then, you know, you do have to pay back like four bushels of hay. You know, what I mean, like the punishment not befitting the crime. And I'm just going mm -hmm. off on tangents and rants here. But you see where I'm going is that we have this issue when we just like, let's back it all the way back up to data, right? How can we create ethical 
systems of managing owning our data when the incentive is not there for companies to do the right thing with our data and and is that not a reason why we should be the ones to own our own data and give explicit enthusiastic consent when it's going to be used by others i think it falls back to not even falls back to i think that prompts first off i think that's a great introduction to this entire conversation <laughs> that whole little 90 second clip right there <clears throat> i think it also begs a question and that is we're as a society getting to the point where every digit every every human being um is not only acknowledged for being a human being like we're 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 working to get to that point is acknowledged for being a human being and has the rights the privileges the access to opportunity that human beings within certain societies so far Ooh, so far um are able to That's, it's ever been enjoyed it <laughs> the callback <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it's, the, it's the best it's ever been so right now we're getting to the point that certain so certain nations certain states certain nation states have like you're there's a level of autonomy and agency in being in 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 being a citizen therefore the possibility of being of a human being right and so pardon me for a moment while i say this do digital beings have rights and do digital beings therefore have value? Do they have equity and are they a resource? And the only reason why we can even have a conversation about digital beings in a way that makes sense is not virtual reality, is not augmented reality, social media influencers. I take a picture of you I put you up there. You're a pretty guy doing exactly. pretty guy things. <laughs> exactly. And you're doing pretty guy things. But you're not doing any of them, Jeff. You've already done them. Right? So you're selling a digital representation or digital copy, a digital being, a digital self, if you will, that has all the attributes of you but at the same time is not you because you're around the world, in the country, in a state, in a city, in another home, doing not what's in that image or in that video. So if that digital being can go and do the same thing repetitively or in a photo or with your voice, can do that in, in perpetuity, as long as, there's a, as long as it's plugged into a wall and we have internet and we have data transmitting, does that digital being enjoy your rights? And do you understand what the rights of that digital being is? Right, so when, even when we get down to the term, like, so I'd even come back to the terms of service and ask a fundamental question of, do I even know what I'm negotiating for? That's right, they're very clear on what they're negotiating for. Yeah. Do I even know what I'm, what am I fighting for? Am I fighting for money? And therefore, when I get back my 
points on the dollar for whatever they're doing, is that even equitable relative to what I've given? And now in a free and open market, the price, the, the value of a thing is what somebody's willing to pay for it. So then we get into questions of value. And then what's that the, digital the, being? I was going to say, then you also have to ask, what's the split, right? So you said equitable, but like what defines equitable in that? So what's the split? Does, does the owner or the, or the platform that puts that out there get to share in the larger spoils of that? Or do you, given that it is your likeness and content, et cetera? And the other thing you just made me think of that kind of just blew my freaking mind is that, so you, you talk about, you take a picture of me and then me out there, wherever it spreads as a digital copy, a digital, whatever. When we think about the evolution of things like deep fakes, right? Like you could reasonably, if you look at someone like me, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty baseline example because like I, I create a decent amount of content, but I'm not like, you know, far and away the biggest content creator. And as far as like me being known, my, you know, my following is modest uh, relative to like a more well-known person. But let's say you were to take my likeness and you were to deep fake me being me, right? So now you've got my face, you've got me being me, and you've got my voice. So you can, you can basically create content of me being me. And you essentially have me, you feed through all of my blog posts of me creating videos of me. I'm not doing them. And a platform then puts that out there as an entire YouTube channel or video channel full of me being me and earns money on that. Let's just assume, assume that's a thing that could be done in the future. Well, okay, so now what happens? What happens next after that? Who owns, who owns that? Should, should you be able as an individual to sign over your entire likeness to another entity to be able to use you, your voice, your face, your content, or even their content? Where are those lines going? These are like issues that are coming to the future. And I don't have any of this worked out. Literally, I just had this thought as you were saying that that's something that's coming is you can actually create an avatar of yourself that you can basically put for sale. It's like a live Bitmoji. Before we even get to, we've already done it, right? Legally, we've created a beautiful thing called intellectual property, trademark and copyright law, right? That makes it so that <clears throat> in music and entertainment, music in particular, music is real nefarious for this or real popular for this. The 360 deal. I sign you, Jay Gibbard, Jeff That's Gibbard. Amazing voice. Right? <laughs> I, I can't I sign you. you. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> you go and do anything. I take, I all of that has to come through our office at the label, no matter what. We also have it in corporate America, non-compete, non-solicits. In some states, they're legal. In some states, they're not. But even then, before we even get to those two things, that kind of blocks you from going anywhere. While you're there at the company, and you'll know this, there's a couple of very famous uh, agencies in Philadelphia where people have come up with really great ideas while they're employees at these places. And those things end up becoming great ideas. Um, and so while they're at that, while they're at that company, that firm, that agency, while they're with that employer, any idea they come up with is the property of that employer. It's written in their employment agreement. It's not their fault for not reading it and not seeing it and not knowing that that's something that you can negotiate. So I think one of the things that we as individuals forget and one of the things that a lot of organizations have figured out that are otherwise malicious 
or ill-intended um, is that people don't re like they realize that this is a you this is like there's a there's an inequity in the power relationship right like I want Facebook, but I have to agree to these terms that are fundamentally like if this was if it was like in order for you to come into this club, you got to give up all these rights that would that borders on illegal, I think. Yeah. Or at least uh, grossly questionable, you know, fairly. Uh, this goes back to the terms of service thing. Right. So like in an employment situation, you could say. You, you could try as the, as the person being employed, you could negotiate and say, hey, anything I create, I will license in perpetuity to you, but it's still my intellectual property. Right? Like you can negotiate for that. But the company still gets to say, no, we're just going to hire somebody else. Because when there's a, a wider supply of talent than there is, uh, or a wider demand for uh, jobs than there is a supply of jobs, they can take their pick and they can find someone who won't make those negotiating claims. And there's no underlying controls in the system to ensure that there are employee rights over owner rights or consumer rights over company rights and things like that. But when you look at something like Facebook, and this is part of the, the post that I think is going live tomorrow on my blog, which by the time this comes out, it'll probably be the same day. Uh, but I talk about how like, imagine like sending back a red line of the Facebook terms of service when you sign up, like you send it back to you send it back to Zuckerberg, like you sending it back to where you're like, I actually don't consent to these few things. I redline that, but I'll agree to all of the other terms. You know, what's, what's going to happen? Are they going to like redo the software so that it works just for you? They're like, uh, no, take it or leave it. Like, this is what we do. And there's no protections that allow for any consumer to say what they are and are not uh, allowing for. And they could very easily programmatically make it so that you could pick and choose the things that you do and don't agree to, which enable or disable certain features. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's as simple as, you know, uh, I think you wrote it in there. Um, it's something that I like to, you know, does anybody really know the GPDR for real, for real? They just know that when, I, when they go to sites, the sites have to let them know about cookies, like actually do. And yeah. like, you can, you can opt and and sites that I enjoy, the ones that are just like, they have accept and they have a no thanks. Yeah. They don't just have the accept and then like an X button or like an accept with like a, a fuckery, right? Like just pure out and out, just fuckery. And you don't have to do that that way. I think the thing that gets weaponized often, um, but the thing that is highly necessary is this level of transparency, right? Um, transparency can be weaponized all the time, right? Like, oh, you need to tell me this, I need to tell you that. And we can go back and forth and, you know, um, people use it as leverage and things of that nature. However, it's the thing within this, within, this, within this moment that is highly necessary is what is going on? Like, how do you make money off of my data? How are you even using, before we even get to capital, and I think capital actually gets in the way a little bit, because a lot of what's happening in these instances is not necessarily an exchange of capital yet. So therefore, they can completely hide behind, we're not actually using this to make money on this year or in this quarter. We're not. We're literally just building programs and building products based upon these preferences. So see how beneficial it is you run into an issue where you start building products and services 
again, for individuals that are willing to give up their data for free. So it becomes exclusionary for those individuals that might see their right to privacy as something that is truly a right. So all of a sudden products and services don't get made. And that's the employer asking the consumer for transparency, but not abiding in that transparency. And that weaponizes it. There's no reciprocity there. There's barely even a public demand for reciprocity. There's just upset. So when we're having this conversation about whether or not the corporation should give me money or whether or not I should, you know, play a part in that. These are still steps and these are still steps and leaps and freaking jumps uh, away from where we actually are, which is we don't even know what's happening for real with our data. And the, and, and, and the idea also that this is your data. This is, if not for you existing, the picture of Jeff wouldn't exist. So you have to fundamentally physically exist. How do you absolve yourself of data rights when you don't even know what those rights really are? And in our past, in our past 100 years, past 500 years, past 1,000 years, you can go back 5,000 years even, right? And go back before and before and before. This kind of exploitation of your rights is how whole societies shift into ways that are not, that have proven historically when we're looking back, it were not beneficial. Well, I it's mean, kind I, of like, yeah, sorry, go. Go, no, you're good. I was going to say, well, given that it, it, it's very difficult to find an example of industry or any sort of capitalist enterprise that began without exploitation at the starting point of it. Like kind of the seed funding really generally revolved around some sort of extraction of resources that either were not yours or were, you know, uh, extracted through the exploitation of other people. And then those sort of things perpetuate. So we're, if we take that as just kind of like a, a framework for the beginning of industry, and we look at we're at kind of the the very beginning point of data harvesting, um, and like the kind of turning point at which we went from like the I can't remember what the exact stat was, but there was some stat that Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, gave where it was like, you know, from the dawn of human history to today, it was like it made like there was like two petabytes of data created, and we now create that like every every two days, and it's accelerating. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is right now, but I'm sure we're creating exabytes upon exabytes of data you know, in, in every few hours, potentially. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're at the beginning of this data information transfer movement and things are just happening. And I think it's important that before these things kind of get fully out of hand, that we take some stock and think about what we want to do with all of that. You know, like when you were saying, um, when you were talking about harvesting data and not even monetizing it at the moment, but just using it to build things, the idea that went through my head is like, you know how in a lot of fast food restaurants, they're now basically replacing cashiers with touchscreens. So mm-hmm. if you were to offer, or not even offer, if you were to just to film, like just record all of the movements and the different things that happen inside of a particular establishment, 
without the consent of the people who work there, except for the, you know, take it or leave it type consent of like, you want a job, you want to get paid, you come in here. And then you use the data you collect from them about how to essentially replace them with automation. How do you're essentially without people's consent, having them train the systems that replace them, which is kind of creepy. And then in the, um, that Jerome or your own, I'm not sure how to say his name, Lanier, that video, mm -hmm. he talks about, um, the data extraction, we, we talk a lot about the automation revolution and AI and that stuff that's coming, but what is training this AI? What's training these algorithms? Our data. So that was kind of to your point. It's the same, same kind of overlap there. So like even if you're not selling our data to the highest bidder in an auction for advertising, our data is being used to create things that may actually displace industries and it may be happening without our expressed and explicit consent about these things. And then the other thing I wanted to point out that I think is a really interesting, I'm going to throw this in there as like, let's throw in some more red meat for the conversation. You add in net neutrality. Now you've got people that are giving their data or potentially let's say you create a framework in which your data can be monetized, extracted, and you can, you can gain spoils from it. Well, once you remove net neutrality per, uh, protections, you actually open up the opportunity, opportunity in air quotes, to exploit certain groups of people based on access and speeds that you are willing to give them that's completely indiscriminate and unprotected by law. Yes. Um, 100, yes. That is exactly what happened. One of the biggest fears. So the first fear is that, and, that, and I say fear, um, because these are, in some respects, these are things that are happening, but this is kind of the direction that things could go. And that is not everybody has access to the internet. Not everybody has the same access to the internet. And we're kind of okay with that, right? We're okay with the fact that not everybody does. However, for those people who have access to the internet, high-speed internet, but if they want to uh, not have their data used for advertising, for marketing purposes, otherwise to be harvested, there's a tax on that, right? Like you have to pay, I have to pay, you have to pay any streaming service that I want to not get ads. Yep. Right? However, that still does not protect me from them using my data for anything like they can use my data period right to do whatever they want with it and by the way even if that isn't true like even if there's even as there are protections in the way they're actively lobbying to pull those protections back facebook and netflix have worked together to pull back legislation they've already done it right this isn't you know i'm not this is just it's yeah you're not whistleblowing you read it. <laughs> right this is just they've done it Right. They're like, oh, it's an old VCR law. And it's like, yeah, it's it's from the old rental industry. Totally. However, that protection was in place for reasons. Um, and so they're actively lobbying to pull back these protections. Facebook is a whole what Zuckerberg is doing in that whole world. Um, well, we're going to get into that. It appears they've made yeah, they, it appears they've made it their business to obfuscate or otherwise dodge any kind of responsibility for real um, when it comes to privacy, when it comes to misinformation, when it comes to just fundamental integrity of business. Um, and so, and hiding, and, and hiding in very interesting and weird places. Um, so I, when thinking about our data, I look at it and I'm like, we, 
you don't like we don't know like we have literally it is the height of ignorance we have no idea we we the idea that's your train like the idea that a human being is training an ai to then take over their position or to take over this work is something that's done and like business analysts have been doing this work in the, in the name of ergonomics for decades right and so oh we need to have better positions for people yeah we need to see a productivity what how much productivity increases when we have people stand up at desks like can we get more work out of them what kind of work are we getting out of them all the window sharing screen sharing I, it it calls into question everything that we do in the name of convenience but after that convenience what do we have to show for it like it's not like we got all these great things like it's not like I turned I I turned over my heart rate to fit, but they turned it over to my insurance company and that lowered my rate. Car insurance, it kind of does that as long as they are able to follow you around in your cigarette lighter for a couple of days, week, months, right? And then they they say, Oh, you're a safe driver, you can bring that down. Well, what about if I'm if I'm just a regular driver? Does that mean my rate goes up? It's do you want me to drive a certain way? Right? Um, and I think that gets in the way of this, like the fundamental ideas of freedom and autonomy and agency, right? The ability to literally make decisions and choices and all the decisions and choices we are making fall back to that, that fundamental thing of exploitation, uh, which we were talking about earlier. We there is not a time where success is had without somebody or something else suffering because of it. Or so this is the question of like, can you ever pass the purity mm-hmm. test? Right? Like, so, so, okay, we're talking on zoom. I don't know anything about you know, what zoom's business practices sure. are. I still am part of Facebook groups. I'm still on Twitter, even though, you know, they haven't shut down the president's uh, Twitter account. So, you know, like, I still utilize services and I still promote, I I help companies with Facebook ads. So I'm helping to enrich the very entities that I can sit here on my podcast and criticize and then post this very podcast to those systems to promote them. So it's like, it's very difficult to pass the purity test in a society where many of these services are needed. Um, And I, I don't know how we can rectify that. So let me ask you this. And it was a question I wanted to ask you at the top of the show. And I think that it, it's an interesting point to introduce it here, but based on the current state of things, what do you think taking an easily defensible position are the current values that we have in this country based upon what you see in terms of behaviors that are rewarded and punished, the winners and the losers in the, in taking whatever you believe to be the most easily defensible position like well there's you know we could say like land of the free home of the brave but we could come up with at least 200 examples of where that is not actually the case there are some exceptions to that rule so taking what you believe to be kind of i could back this up pretty easily what do you think are the values of our country at this point in time i like asking big questions yeah i can tell <clears throat> you know, I and I don't want to sit. I know we're on live, we're on air, so the idea of just sitting in silence and pondering is kind of lost. 
I mean, for those listening as Q is thinking, like ask yourself the same question. Like really, if you think about, you get up every day and you go to work, you read the newspaper, you read Reddit, Facebook, whatever, you see what's happening in this country, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, that's irrelevant to me. I think when you look at it, if you say, what are the, the behaviors that you believe to be are rewarded and punished? And really, like when I, when I look at that, I mean like the people that will succeed or fail in our country that will have you know, a, high, a good quality of life, um, you know, comfort, food, shelter, water, healthcare, the, the people who have excess capital to invest in things or start businesses or whatever, who, who stands to win there? And you look at the ones that the people that do and those that don't, and you look at everything that's going on. What do we clearly value? Because I, I have my ideas of it. When I was growing up, um, there was a clothing store in uh, the DMV. That's uh, the District of Columbia, okay, I Maryland, and Virginia. Where you get your license. <laughs> right, exactly. No, no. Right, that's why I was going to explain. I'm like in DMV, and for Thank those you. who don't know, who are hip, like, yeah, District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, that tri-state area, not the New York tri-state area. That's a whole other ball of wax we're not getting into. Um, there was a store called JW. At JW, there was a manager there. Uh, and we used to always joke around. It's like, what are people really looking for? And, uh, you know, everybody wants a, you know, everybody respects an asshole, but with nice guy tendencies. So you can, so the values that I think this country holds on to no matter kind of what, and the one that's being kind of like pecked at the most is this idea that when, when, by any means necessary, when, be nice. If you can. But like win if, first. Yeah, yeah, win first, but be nice. It win first. Like a bonus, like if you could at least be nice, that would be cool. Be nice, be nice, play, do the nice, hey, what's going on? Win. That's, I feel like, oh, we did this and all the way. Yeah, yeah. Did you win? Yeah. Were you nice? Yeah. Usually what brings most people, quote, down, like, is the preponderance of the wrong they did and how not nice they were. Think about, like, what everybody says about Lance Armstrong beyond the cheating and the da 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 is that like he was a jerk he was mean you see the way he talked about his competitors that's just mm -mm. we don't like not nice unless you're we don't mind if you're not being nice on the way to winning michael jordan mugsy bogues <laughs> right we don't mind if you're being not nice on the way to winning we do mind when you're not being nice and you've already won and you're going back again. So let me ask you this. If, if, and I, I think that's a really interesting answer, and I think it's fun to play around with. So then if that's the case, if, if those sure, are kind sure, of sure, sure. stated fun values, and I think we can find examples all across our economy for this, where does cruelty play in? So or, uh, maybe not cruelty, but... Um, um, Harm? Yes, Boom, there's the right word. So you can win and you can be nice, but how many people can you harm along the way before that system breaks down? 
because is it just nice in your victory? You know, because I, I look at some of the things that are going on with like, there are companies in which there are, there are executives who do really shady, horrific things. And they get to kind of like, let's, let's look at the, the financial meltdown and how many banks got away with basically ruining just hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, and they got bonuses and they're fine. But all those people that were hurt by it, what's up with that? And then when you think about in that, so you can say, okay, you know what? Well, like, should they lose their livelihood? Okay, so let's, let's just, we'll concede that point and we'll say, okay, sure. So this person worked hard, maybe some bad things happened under their watch, but should they lose their livelihood? Okay, no. But then when you take that in conjunction with a system that essentially rewards capital more than labor, and the capital that you gain from that exploitation allows you to continue to grow and pass down generational wealth, et cetera. So I'm going to go back for a second to the win thing, right? And I think that in answering or speaking to that, all of that, all of that is excusable because they're, the idea that they're too big to fail, well, why are they too big to fail? Because too many people will be harmed. Not really. Um, because we've already established that the harm to people who are not at this level doesn't, because they're not winners. Mm-hmm. These are the winners. They run the organization. We need their minds. We need their expertise. We need that skill. So that way the country can win because we can't have that kind of failure because that'll mess up the finances, the money, the capital that we need in order to still be on top, right? Or access all the rest of those things. So we can't, that'll collapse our, we can't win. Um, so we got to hold this up. We got we to gotta figure out a way to support this apparatus. Even though it causes massive amounts of harm, we got to figure out how to hold on to this thing. I know that your favorite clothing uh, wear company or your favorite hotel destination or your favorite whatever food takes, but like, if you want to have the best, if you want to win the competition of taste and style and fashion, then that's the cost of doing business, right? And so when we come, like that weird word that we use called penalty, a penalty makes it so that somebody else has a competitive advantage over you, right? Or that otherwise you have to, like you have to adjust your business practices in some way or your competitive practices or your otherwise engagement practices in some way that compensate for this now writing of the ship in a way that makes sense, right? But if you're, if you're penalizing, if you're fining businesses well below that, if I make a hundred bucks a day, right? And you penalize me three pennies and my, and like what I need in order to survive is five cents. How is that hurt? Like, I'm not, that's just how much it costs in order for me to do. I'm worried about the other 97 cents that I have in my pocket. I'm not worried about the five that I need to survive and the three that it's costing me to do this work. Mm -mm, Not at all. And I, and people get that. They understand that finding a large data company like Facebook, like Facebook and Google, you know, finding them the highest in history. Well, they're also making the record number of profits and they also have billions upon billions upon hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, not hundreds of billions of dollars. They have billions of dollars. And this billion dollar fine is still a fraction of their revenue this year. Yeah, this quarter in some cases. 
Um, I think it was. Yeah, this this is not a, this is a, for 2018 for Facebook, and they got fined five. That's how much it costs for me to do business. You charge them less than the than the same ratio of what it takes for me to get to and from any place that I want to go for work. If I want to go to a co-working spot, if I want to go to a restaurant, that transportation, like they basically charge the transportation costs it takes for me to get to clients and less than that, actually, as a penalty yeah. for doing business. No, that's not a penalty. That's just the cost of doing business. That's what they're saying. And whole governments are just saying, we don't understand. We don't understand what you guys are doing. People are going, we don't understand what you guys are doing because we're still penalizing them like they're, we're penalizing a company that makes a billion dollars. If you penalize a company that's making a billion dollars a year, a million dollars, they don't, that's whatever. Fine. Right. Our executive makes that <laughs> salary. Like we're not even, what are you talking? And not even that they make more than that salary. Like, what are you, what are you really finding me for? Like, this is just another cost. You just gave me a position. That's all I have to do is solve that. Win. And so everything's kind of, and like we're coming, like we're getting to this level of social awareness and we're getting to this level of social responsibility where we're saying that winning at all costs isn't winning. Not nice enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, well, you know, if, if, you know, I, I can't tell, and, and not to be down on Lance Armstrong, right. Um, you know, nah, pile on man. But the idea that, and I'm not going to use, continue using him as an example, right. Cause I feel like in many respects, he kind of paid his penance, but he's still whatever. That's a whole nebulous thing. But I think when we start talking about the costs of winning and then when we penalize and we pull things back from people um and from companies um and we talk about this i we we treat coca-cola like there's not a pepsi we treat Facebook like there was never a Snapchat. We treat a company as though they are the, lo the linchpin of innovation. And, and if business has taught us anything, the linchpin of innovation is people. And we consistently devalue, undermine, and are plain old, mean, vindictive, violent to the people that we need to succeed. And I don't mean as in person, I mean people, mm -hmm. right? I love Evernote, you love Notion. They both do similar things. Notion, in some respects, does it way better, way better. I'm still using Evernote. It doesn't mean that I don't think Notion is way better. It's just I haven't learned how to use it, right? I just haven't taken the time out to be like, click, click, click. Oh, it's just like that. I, told you I'd okay, use this I mean, it's I still use both, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I could show you how to use it, you know, at some point. It's really awesome. Right. Notion still exists. If both of those went away tomorrow, there would be another company that would pop up to take over that space. We're not at a loss 
We're not at a loss for talent. We're not at a loss for skill. We're not at a loss for ingenuity. We're not at a loss for any of these things. We're stuck in this weird, this weird hedonic space of like, win, win, win. Doesn't matter what happens. And it does. So let me ask you this. It really does. As it relates to tech platforms. My TED Talk is over. (laughs) Going back to the data thing and and looking at um, specifically at tech companies and Let's stay on social media for a little bit because I think we could go down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Zuckerberg is testifying in Congress today. He's talking about why it's okay that politicians can lie on the platform. He's, you know, trying to advocate for his Libra currency that they're trying to do, trying to, you know, justify why it's okay that the platform continually focuses on outrage and misinformation and why that's okay. So, you know, one, are, are there any platforms that you currently trust and why? Um, and then, you know, kind of at a broader question is, you know, did this social media thing, is it worth it or should we have, should we move on? Because it, I don't know if it's worth the price of connection. So one platform, do you trust any? Until further review, I am still a fan of Ello. Damn, you are something. <laughs> you are always living the counterculture life. You're like, I really feel like Blackberry is making a comeback. <laughs> I will not say that. I will never say that. I would love it if they would. And if you decide to do an iOS hack, that would be amazing. Um, just to get my, my keyboard back. But I understand we're in the future and that means touching pieces of glass. Um, so that's awesome. I don't mind it. Touch screens are great. I just really liked my BlackBerry for a time. That being said, um, E-L-L-O. Uh, I like the way they started. I like the way they've, I have tend to like the way they've grown. I have not done an entire brand and business teardown of them to, yet to see how they've matured and what they've grown into. Um, but every time I'm on there and every time I'm doing uh, or looking for different art, different artists, um, different what we like to call creatives, um, I've always found that that environment is uh, undistracted, focused. You f- when you get done from being on, by being on there, you feel enriched, smarter, more brilliant. Uh, you feel like um, you've connected uh, to another artist. Even if you're just liking what they're putting up, you feel like you're doing that. Now they still have to make money and there's a couple of pieces on the site that I've seen pop up that aren't bad. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, you know, they just figured out, they're just figuring out ways to get people to buy and sell and trade stuff on there. Cool. Okay. Um, it's a platform. I, I like, I like that. Um, there's, uh, the anti unicorn kind of bubblings that zebra work, um, that I recently kind of stumbled onto, uh, yeah, the ladies doing that work. That. Um, Q turned me on to this podcast. Fellow listeners, you should go and check this out. There's a podcast called Zigzag. It's absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. Like literally just one of my favorites right out of the gate. And he sent me this uh, episode on uh, this concept of zebra companies, which are not unicorns. They are intentionally, um, you know, both growing and socially conscious and socially aware. So mm-hmm. check it out, Zigzag. It's cool. Sorry, yeah, they don't live in the clouds. They're not feeding on rainbows and stars. They're, they have to eat grass so that earth matters. They have to hang out with other, they're not by themselves. They have to hang out with other zebras. Like there's just so many things that that goes yeah. with. 
um, there's those those companies, right? Right. It maybe have a renewed in a renewed infatuation with Mailchimp. Um, yeah, me but, too. Honestly, listening to those episodes, I'm very pro Mailchimp now and pro. Yeah, I'm moving as much as I can off of Chrome to Firefox. And you know, one of the things that I'm encountering with that is this idea of interoperability, where mm-hmm. you know, or data portability. The idea that like you. Mm-hmm if you want to move from one platform to another because the values line up with you, you should be able to move your data from one place to another, which supports open standards, which basically breaks down the idea of intellectual property and proprietary technology so that data can be moved around, especially if you own it yourself, um, which is a whole other topic we could get into. Remember, we spent like three years in our lifetime trying to just, po- we, there was a time for about three years, maybe two, but definitely three. I mean, sorry, maybe, maybe three, definitely two. There we go. Okay, word choice or word order. Where just your number porting was a massive problem. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, if you wanted to take your, if you want to take a number that you had and bring it from one cell phone carrier to the other cell phone carrier, that was a problem. Then your, then your hardware became the problem. And it still kind of is, right? The unlocked phone. How do, like, I'm not renting this device. How do I buy something for cash? Not even before credit, cash money. And then all of a sudden I want to go use it someplace else. And they're like, nah, it doesn't work. It's the same device. No, the internals are different. How, what did we do? Well, it's a CDMA network versus a GSM network. You mean you can't do both at the same time? Well, no. Yeah, you can. And it doesn't cost more. You're just not doing it because of money and because of profitability and because of market share right and so well you don't understand this is very complicated it's not really we've made it complicated um i've (sighs) when we talk about data portability the idea that you can put your i if i put all of my clothes into one bin and I want to find one piece of clothing, sure, I have to open up that bin or whatever. But if I want to take all those clothes and put it into another bin, I just take it and put it in another bin. I can organize it differently. I can do a whole bunch of things, but I just take it and put it in that bin. It's a physical thing. Digitally, it's, well, now it's encrypted for your privacy. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Great. Um, it's me, and it's me on the other side, kind of a la Bitcoin, right? Let's just take that encrypted along the way and de-encrypted. Well, we can't do that because we're this company and that's this company and we don't use the same. But joint commissions and HIPAA make it so that way we can transmit medical data back and forth. Why can't I transmit my, just my information, my height, like do I, like the, the, the base level questions of why I can't do that and the responses why are unsatisfying. Like you, you, you feel like you're a crazy person asking a company for your details. The idea that like, and this gets even crazier when you die. Oh my God. Yes. I did an episode on my last podcast, True Voice Media podcast, like back when I had the agency where I brought on, um, uh, oh my God, blanking right now, Holly, I'm blanking on her last but she, she did uh, an entire, um, episode we we called digital death and it was talking all about the rights people have over their data post-mortem where like certain terms of service don't even allow 
spouses or children to have access to your data after your death because you're the the like account holder, so that data is just locked away. Or even like data assets, digital assets that have value. So like let's say you were a World of Warcraft person and you accumulated so much gold or whatever, mm-hmm. it was worth so much on the fair market that all that is lost. All of it is lost after you pass away. Which it was really crazy. So, but back to the question I asked you, uh, social media thing. It, it, should we, is it still a good idea? Should we be done with it? I, mean, I remember back in 2007, people oh. were like, oh, it's a fad. It's going to fade out. Like, and I was like, that's crazy. This is the way people communicate. We're open, connected, the whole thing. But after seeing the way that it developed, I wonder if it's worth, if it's worth the price of connection. And I'm curious what your take is on it thinking about all of the different issues that come with um, with social media, that there's a lot of benefits. Like we, we could sit here for the next hour and probably list off benefits from social media, people we've met, connections we've made, uh, things that we're working on that we're proud of that we promoted and we have found an audience for. Like There's a lot of great things that come from it, but there's a lot of negativity that comes from it. There's the addictive nature of the uh, networks on our devices and how they create stress and anxiety through comparison and depression about, you know, FOMO and, you know, comparison being the thief of joy and such. Then there's all of the polarization and division and the ease at which fake information can spread from one group to another, all of that stuff. So is social media worth the price of connection in your opinion? Or is it something else that maybe there's another option? Oh, fix is it, it worth the price? Is it worth the price of connection? It's going to be a new blog post. I'm going to write. Actually, this, this is actually this. I, I feel like this can be answered this way. If you could give me Instagram, the functionality of Instagram, WhatsApp, I forget it. Just if you could just give me Instagram, forget all the rest of it. I don't need any of it. Right. Medium medium would be great. But, but like, if you could give me Instagram, um, not for free, Charge me, charge. All of my information is mine. Digital identity management. All of my information is mine, right? When I go over to, um, when I go to Sweden and I have my Verizon phone, um, if I want to use it on their networks, I can just drop over. They pay, I pay a fee to Verizon 10 bucks and I'm able to use my phone over there on their networks. Not Verizon networks, they're Sweden's networks and there's like a couple of them. Right. And so <clears throat> why can't I? Right. So like if I have my digital identity, like I create the avatar, create the, all the things, all the stuff. And like this lives and breeds. I think that something that a, sh- I could I should, like, I should be able to pay to keep that private. And that creates a whole nother level of access and class woes and stuff like that. But like, that's something that ought to be available right now. Second, um, I don't think it's worth the price of admission. I don't. I fundamentally, I think that right now we have a lot of great connectivity. I enjoy it. It's fantastic. I wish there was another way of doing it so that way we weren't doing it this way. Um, and in many respects, I constantly ask this question of um, of clients where I'm just like, what happens if you can't use social media to do your business? If you can't access your clients via social media, how would you get in contact with them? blank stares even clients that don't have social media they don't know how to get in contact with their client without social media and they don't use that how do you hold on if you didn't have social media how would you get in contact with these people 
Well, I don't know. I like, would you just call them? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that right like, now. Like, how oh, would we, yeah. like, what would we do? Oh, well, we would, yeah. And I think there's a level of thinking that has become, that is atrophied because we don't, we don't have to overcome that obstacle. Um, convenience has become like one of the greatest obstacles in the way of everything. Sheer convenience. So let me ask you this. It's just easier this way. So here's another thing I want to ask you about because in asking that question, it made me think of this. Is like, so I was thinking I have these Facebook groups and I have Twitter networks and things like that. And I was thinking like, okay, well, maybe what I would do is I would take them off of that and bring them somewhere else, right? So like you like Ello, right? Well, if Ello gets bought by Facebook, guess what happens to all of your data? Like look what happened. They bought WhatsApp. Like WhatsApp is not the same WhatsApp that WhatsApp used to be. WhatsApp had mm -hmm. a very specific reason for existing and a certain set of values that, that they promised users. And then several, you know, like a billion some odd people in, Facebook takes them over and the game changes. And like, sure, they're still encrypting messages and things like that, but we can see that it's slowly starting to creep into the world of Facebook. And I guess that leads to kind of like a secondary point because we're, we've been talking about your data and the agreement between you and the company, like putting aside data ownership, when another company buys a smaller company and acquires all of their assets, they're acquiring generally all of your data and information. Mm -hmm. And I don't mm -hmm. think we have any current protections or anything around that at the moment. So that I, like, you know, when you sign up, if that company gets acquired, you don't, I don't think you generally get an opt out to be like, I don't want my data going to that company. Not typically at least. You don't get it. You hold on. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, beautiful. Thought I lost you for a moment. Yeah, we froze up for a second, but I don't know um, that law, right? Um, I don't know that policy. That's a little bit. That's far outside of my range right now. Um, when it comes to this is why you're seeing a big, huge, you're seeing, a, I shouldn't say big, in my world, it's huge, right? Yeah. When I see it, it's enormous. To everybody else, it's like barely a bubble. But independent publishing, independent newsletters, email, uh, uh, pop-up events. I just came back from an Everlane pop-up where they're doing denim, right? Because they have, they believe in transparency. On their website, they tell you that their jeans cost $18 to make and you're paying $40 to $50 extra on top of that. People just want to know. Um, people want to know what's going on. We don't know, like this idea that we don't know what's going on with our data and that it has to be that way. It's, it's frustrating. Um, and I think we're going to look back on this time and go, why did we treat people this way? Again. I, I don't disagree with you at all. Right. Yeah. I, why did, like, how did we get to a point where we, we figured out another way to commoditize an individual, to dehumanize a person, to turn them into bits and bytes and say that 
Um, the reason why I didn't, you know, the reason why people don't um, put their children on social media is because they, they, you know, there were the Gerber ads from years ago where all of a sudden somebody's childhood picture would be up in a Gerber ad. And it's like, how do they have rights to even do that? Well, you, in your Facebook agreement, it says that they have the right and they have a marketing agreement. They have the right. So they, they're just showing you what it would look like. It looks cute. Right. And it's like, but I didn't tell you to use that. I didn't even say that was okay. That, well, it's in your agreement. Again, we don't know what rights to fight over. We don't know what we're really fighting over. Right. And that gets back to this philosophical thing of like, what does it mean to be a human? What, and, and if we're asking questions about like, what does it mean to be a human? Then what is like, what does a human have access, ability, and have a right to? We say privacy, but we trade we trade that uh, to get things that we don't need. It's not like we were at a loss for communication and we were at a loss for connection beforehand, but we can't imagine a world without this level of communication and connectivity. And when we do, it's always a dystopian view. When we look back, we're like, oh my God, it was so, how would you even get there? You had the way to, I had the way to get to my grandmother's house memorized when I was 16 and I just learned how to drive a car. I could drive there blindfolded. I wouldn't recommend such a, an endeavor. <laughs> now you wouldn't dream, oh, the traffic. How would you get around the traffic? And what about, I mean, what, what if you got, what if you needed a gas station? This sounds like a bunch of old men just sitting in a, on their, in their, <laughs> in their living room downstairs talking shit. Yeah. Well, I feel well, like in my day, we've covered um, a tremendous amount of ground here. I feel like we, uh, we may have well, solved I, the okay. ownership issue. We may have, uh, you know, I think it's possible that if we do enough of these, um, that we could actually solve all of the world's problems. I think that's, that's a possibility. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe we're <laughs> too old. Men I, sitting I, on I don't think I, 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 I feel like I'm going to say this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. Um, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. This is not anti-technology. This is not anti-innovation. This is not anti-progress. Mm -hmm. This is actually pro all of those things. I want there to be people involved in the technology and in the innovation and in the progress. I do not want people to be removed from it and therefore commoditized and therefore subject to harm in the middle of the process, as is what happens with our clothes, as is what that was happens with the, with the, uh, the accumulation of resources, whether or not they be precious minerals, metals, et cetera. There is massive amounts of harm. And this is another way that we figured out how to create. This system didn't require harm that way. Like we didn't have to go about it this way. It wasn't. We didn't have to do it at all. We actually wanted to have this thing to say, like, we wanted this open transfer of things, but we live in this thing called capitalism. Once they figured out, once they figured out how to like commoditize it and turn that into a resource, now that data has value and it just keeps going up. And these companies are just accumulating the data on us. Individually, my data is not that valuable unless I'm going to be famous. I think it's coming. So now that I think that's the only way your data is valuable is if you're famous. You think so? 
I think so. And I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a big fan and I always love having you on. I love always shooting the shit with you, whether we do it when we record it or when we have our sometimes even better episodes that don't get recorded and we're just on the phone chatting about the world around us. But I always appreciate when you come on and take the time to shoot the shit with me and talk about the world around us and how we can dismantle the messed up systems, advocate for more human positions on things, reduce harm and ultimately save the world. Might happen. So you've been. <laughs> Might happen, man. Might happen. Uh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, in the words of Fred Moten, this is, you know what? I'm gonna leave it there. All right. Well, Jeff, I'm, it is an absolute pleasure to talk to you, my man. Thank you, man. I would say that if anything, I would say this episode was shareable. <laughs> Big, long, dramatic pause. Shareable. shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me please? Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you could support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcast, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look. And if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it. And this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you. And I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now.